It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey guys, Gronk here, calling a 30-second hair huddle. When it comes to tackling hair loss, Hims has you covered. From clinically proven regrowth treatments to thickening shampoo and conditioner. Just go to 4 for a free consultation. Then a licensed medical provider can help you with your game plan. If prescribed, Hims ships directly to your door. Get your hair back in the game with Hims. Try today and get a 90-day money-back guarantee at 4 Just go to 4 slash NFL. That's 4 slash NFL. Restrictions apply. See website for full details and important safety information. You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We said four quarters, all gas, no break. You guys did that today. Hell of a job. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts. You will find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet, and the show for fans who know what happened. They want to know why and how. Jason Hershorn from Acme Packing Company, from SI.com, from NFL.com, he is on the show today. We are talking about Packers players. This has been a little bit of a theme this week about the different kinds of athletic profiles Green Bay likes, the types of players they tend to covet in the draft. So we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. I want to start, though, with a follow-up conversation in some ways to what we discussed with wide receiver earlier in the week. And it relates to the defensive line because a lot of Packer fans want the Packers to take a defensive lineman early. And I put out a tweet yesterday that said the full list of defensive linemen that make sense for the Packers at 30 are, that's it. That's the list. And it has as much to do about this draft class as it does the Packers specifically. If you can't affect the passing game on a consistent basis, then you are just not a first-round talent. That is true at any position. So if you are an offensive lineman who is not a great pass blocker but you're a mauling run blocker, you are not a first-round pick if you are not likely to become a good pass blocker. If you are a running back who can only run and is unlikely to be a part of the passing game, you cannot be a first-round pick. If you are a linebacker who can only play the run and is not useful defending the pass, you cannot be a first-round pick. And if you are a defensive lineman who does not affect the passing game, you cannot be a first-round pick. Now, Again, this is not only the moment right now. Do you affect the passing game or are you likely in the future to affect the passing game? This is a problem with this class because there are not that many pass rushing interior players in it. In fact, there is not one great interior pass rusher. I want to I want to add to this point. Last year, 
if you go by pressures, so total pressures, the top 20 guys in pressure, two were interior defensive linemen, Kenny Clark and Aaron Donald. Now, if you if you extrapolate that out, if you go down to 50 now, we're starting to get some of these interior defensive players. But even if we extend this out to 50, you add Leonard Williams, Malik Collins, Javon Hargrave, Geno Atkins, Matt Ioannidis, DeForest Buckner, Vita Vea, Fletcher Cox, Chris Jones, Cam Hayward. So in all, about 10 of the top 50 guys in terms of creating pass rush are interior players. 10. The odds of you taking an interior player who affects the passing game in any draft is small because those players are small. Aaron Donald was an outlier. Vita Vea was an outlier. Fletcher Cox was an outlier. And in a lot of ways, Kenny Clark was an outlier. I thought Kenny Clark was a top 25 talent because I thought he had the upside with the physical capabilities and the strength to be an interior disruptor and a defensive player who can push the pocket and create inside. I don't see that player in this draft. And to take it a step further, if you look at the kind of defensive athletic profile that Green Bay tends to like, the only player who as of right now has tipped the scales that way is Justin Matabuike from Texas A&M. The only guy. Now, Javon Kinlaw hasn't tested and is not going to test, but that means guys like Neville Gallimore, Ross Blacklock, Jordan Elliott, those guys don't fit the athletic profile that Green Bay tends to prefer. Raquan Davis, these guys don't fit. So, it's, it is a, a lot of defensive players who are one-dimensional in this draft, and that's fine. It's just not fine in the first round. So when I hear Packer fans say, oh, we need to fix the defense, we need to fix the interior defensive line and help with the run game, I say, yes, that is true. You do not use a first-round pick to fix the interior of your run defense. You just do not do it. The value is not there because you could get a player who affects the passing game, whether it's receiver, whether it's offensive tackle, or a linebacker who can play run and pass. You'd rather have the player who who affects more than one facet of the game. This is easy when it comes to just checking boxes. Do they check more than one box? Unless you're all-time run defender, unless you're Snacks Harrison, and even then, you know, Snacks Harrison in his prime was never one of the five or six best interior players in football because he was not an impact pass rusher. And those guys are rare. Ross Blacklock is not an impact pass rusher. He's a flash pass rusher. Even Derek Brown, who's going to go in the top five or ten, not an impact pass rusher. And Javon Kinlaw, not an impact pass rusher. He's the best defensive lineman in the draft, Javon Kinlaw. The best. Not a top 30 player. Now, it's close. If he were to fall to 30 and the Packers took him, I would understand it. But it is hard for me to see a scenario where he is the most impactful player that they could take at 30. And as a result, I just don't think it makes sense to take someone there. Now, in the second round, in the third round, in the fourth round, yes. But when we talk about most impactful player, the guy who can be the most impactful for your team, 
our version of best player available, most impactful player, defensive line is like fourth on the list. In the first round, the the order of players who can be most impactful, receiver, offensive tackle, linebacker. Defensive lineman would be fourth, but given the way that this class looks, the order of operations for me would be receiver, offensive tackle, linebacker, trade down. And then if you want to trade down into, you know, the 40s and get Matabuike or someone like that, then then let's have a conversation. But even then, your first-round pick being a run-stuffing defensive lineman when you need a future offensive tackle, a future receiver, and those guys in this class are plentiful and could be impactful, it doesn't make sense to take a defensive lineman. David Harrison here, the Locked on Washington football team podcast, celebrating with you a 21-grain salute to a less boring sandwich thanks to Dave's Killer Bread. I don't know about you guys, but when I eat pizza, I eat it for the toppings, not the crust. And when I eat a sandwich, it's for what's inside the bread, not for the bread. But when I throw a sandwich on 21 whole grains and seeds, thin sliced bread from Dave's Killer Bread, it is the epitome of addition by subtraction. That thin sliced bread lets me focus on what's inside the sandwich, but also adds to the sandwich with killer taste, killer texture, killer nutrition, a subtle sweetness, and a seed-coated crust. Dave's Killer Bread is America's number one organic bread for a reason it tastes so stinking good dave's killer bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-gmo ingredients and is power packed with whole grains fiber and protein visit daveskillerbread.com to learn more and look for dave's killer bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store all right let's get to our discussion with jason hershorn you can find him at acme packing company at nfl.com at si.com covering the chargers he also covers the Packers with me and Acme Packing Company, as I mentioned. You can follow him on Twitter at by underscore JBH. Jason, thanks for coming back on Locked on Packers. It, it only took a global pandemic to get me back on your show. So, you know, you got to look at the big picture. <laughs> well, I figured you, that you didn't have anywhere else to go. So at, at the very least, there was that. Yes, this is very much the only thing I had in my agenda today besides my own work. So, yeah, uh, let's go. So what I wanted to have you in on uh, was there is a, a focus now on the NFL draft because it's the only thing we can focus on in sports. It's the only sport really that we have right now. And the cool thing for us is the Packers have a type. They're like your friend who always dates the same kind of person. And so we thought it'd be fun to discuss some of those players that the Packers could have draft crushes on. So we're going to do things a little differently. We're going to sort of go back and forth, talk about some of these players. We each have lists of guys. We might have the same list, but we have not discussed these already. You have already told me you have one player that if I take, you will be very upset. So why don't you start it off? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. In fact, I'm willing to bet that this is a player that you thought about as well. And look, one of the Packers' biggest needs going into the offseason, and true now, even after the first wave of free agency, is wide receiver. And this is a wide receiver. Someone who I don't imagine that they would take with their first round pick, but if they go another position there or they trade back, I think this could definitely be someone they target on day two. And that's USC's Michael Pittman Jr. Now, before I, mm. I go in, into why, is this someone that you thought uh, Green Bay might have interest in? It is not, on, he was not on my list. 
but I happen to love Michael Pittman Jr. So I, I'm I'm really glad that this was the receiver that you picked because it's I have a receiver. I actually have two on my list, one and a half. He was not one of them. Yeah, so so Michael Pittman, when I watched him, both his uh, his 2018 season and his 2019 season, he reminded me, and I want to be very clear that I'm only referring to this player as he was as a prospect, not what he is now, but he reminded me a lot of Michael Thomas, the, the Saints wide receiver, because mm-hmm. of the way that he uses his body to just, you know, basically just bully over receivers at, or defenders at the catch point, but he's also able to use just the way that he can build up locomotion and just stop, almost not a dime, to create separation on comeback routes or, or drag routes, or a lot of things that work over the middle, which, as we know, is a big part of the Packers' offense under Matt LaFleur. And he is incredibly athletic. In terms of his spark score by uh, by position, he came in in the 85th percentile. We know that the Packers value athleticism at that position. And he's someone who can play both on the boundary and as a big slot. So maybe he's not the, someone that the Packers just throw into that slot position and just don't worry about it for the entire season. But he's someone who can work in that role. When they also have another receiver, Devontae Adams, who moves around too, gives a lot of different pieces. So I think Michael Pittman is someone who could come in year one, have a significant impact. He's maybe not be a superstar right away, but could build up his skill set as he as he improves in that offense. I just think that's a really good match of skill set, athleticism and offense. Did you think that I would pick him because you and I have both become infatuated in recent drafts which with UFC, USC receivers? That's actually not why exactly. And, and to be clear, you and I have liked some USC receivers, and then in some cases we we uh, we differed. I believe you liked Juju uh, Smith-Schuster a lot more yeah. than I did, which, I mean, as it appears right now, you were right in that one and I wasn't. But with, with Pittman, it's just he's a he certainly fits – uh, Brian Gutekunst's preferences for bigger receivers. He's 6'4", 223 pounds. I mean, that's right in the same category as Equinemius St. Brown, as Marcus Valdez-Scanling. Yep. Uh, but this is a more well-rounded receiver coming out of college. And he's the kind of receiver that really feels like he could work the middle of the field in a way that, other than Devontae Adams, the Packers really weren't able to last year with regularity. So I I think that's part of it. I I started to see you tweet about him, and that's when I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. oh, of course. Now the receiver that I like is the one that you're going to, you know, like, you know, 150 percent of what I do, which is always what happens with you and I. Like We we both find receivers we like, and then it's almost like a competition as to who can appreciate them more. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, it's it's interesting you mentioned Michael Thomas because uh, Greg Cosell, who who is um, you know a, a, a famous tape grinder when it comes to these kinds of things, compared him to Michael Thomas. My my comparison for Michael Pittman Jr. is actually Kenny Galladay. They have eerily similar athletic profiles and can win in similar ways down the field. I had a receiver on my list, um, Denzel Mims. He is one of the the popular names for the Packers at thirty. I think we'll have enough time at other points to talk about him, so I don't actually want to dive into him right now. There is another name, though, at receiver that I did want to bring up, and that is Antonio Gibson. Interesting. Because he, that's that's he not was, the name I expected from you, honestly. He was, and this is this is not a high, you know, potential pedigree player. We're talking about a third, fourth round pick. But as someone who played running back, who did a little bit of receiver, he was asked to change positions at the combine. He tested extremely well, ran sub 4-4, has that relative athlete score the way that the Packers seem to like. And as a gadget player, someone who can be Tyler Irvin plus, that that sort of juiced up, um, you run him on jet sweeps, let him return kicks, 
let them run screens, do a little bit of everything for you. I think in the middle of the draft, if you're the kind of person who thinks they're going to go receiver early and receiver sort of middle to late, Gibson is a player that I think the Packers could really, really find appealing. And then you don't you don't need a third running back because he can play in the backfield too. I think that's a fair way of putting it. And, and if you're getting him the ball at or behind the line of scrimmage, you mitigate some of his physical weaknesses. Now, I think that the discussion about hand size is overblown when it comes to quarterbacks. Not that there's no correlation to success there, but it's certainly not the right. correlation that it seems like the NFL believes there to be. With receivers, it's it's more of just a threshold. Like if you're above a certain amount, you should be fine. And Gibson is not one of those receivers. His hand size is measured at eight eight and five eighths inches, which is really really small. And I'll put it's this in context. Tiny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I am a much smaller person than Antonio Gibson, both in terms of height and weight, and I have larger hands than him. So I think of it in those terms. I played receiver in high school, and I'm just thinking of like how often, you know, just not being able to get, you know, both hands on the ball cleanly affected my ability to catch it. And obviously, these guys are far more talented than I am, but the hand size does make a difference, especially when you're catching away from the body. But again, if he's doing his work in the backfield with their handoffs or there's you know, those shovel passes behind the line of scrimmage that are you know essentially handoffs but technically passes, I think that's a way you can mitigate some of those issues like they had with Tyler Irvin where they were using him on sweeps. They were using him a lot just in motion. And it's a really good way of not only confusing the defense and not only you know revealing what they're trying to do but just to, again, put the ball in the hands of a playmaker who may not be able to do as much when they're already down the field. Just out of curiosity, who was the name you thought I was going with? I thought you were going to go with Justin Jefferson because I don't know that anybody mm. on the internet, possibly including the family of Justin Jefferson, likes him <laughs> as much as you do, which is fine. He, he certainly makes a lot of sense for Green Bay if he's available in the first round, and we can go with that if you want. I, you mentioned Denzel Mims briefly, and we, can, we don't have to go into it that much, but one of the things I wanted to mention about him because he was on my list is – People are talking about his athleticism, and you know, for good reason. He's in the 94th yeah. percentile by his position. But I don't think his route running, and specifically his releases, are getting enough respect at this point. Like I, I watched some of his tape at Baylor, and I see a lot of times where he's running different routes, but with the exact same release. And you can see how it's freezing up the defenders because he'll not just do them over the course of a game; he'll do them back to back, completely freezing that cornerback. That's a very advanced skill for a receiver, especially one coming out of Baylor, where you know this isn't the R. Bryles Baylor offense, but he did arrive there when, when Bryles was still in charge. So all the development that he's had in that regard probably came within the last two, maybe two and a half years, and it shows. Yeah, he he's someone that I think is absolutely going to be on the Packers' radar at thirty. So I, I think we're just going to have plenty of time to talk about him in the future. So why don't you grab another player from your list? Okay, now this is another player that I would I would say is not in the running for that first round pick and, and probably not even for their second round pick, but maybe at the end of day two or day three, it, it's Jack Driscoll. And, and this mm. is, so, and this is someone who, in addition to being a pretty good athlete, he's not an elite, elite offensive lineman in terms of his, his athleticism scores, but he is up there and he's someone who I think is position versatile. So he could be someone who they could develop as the right tackle of the future. He's also someone that I think they could slide into guard. And if you look at what their offensive line is right now on the right side, we have Billy Turner currently lined up at right guard and presumably 
Rick Wagner at right tackle. You don't know if either of those guys are going to be the presumed starters heading into 2021, either because they're, you know, they, the team could get out of those deals after this upcoming season or just because someone else has taken those spots. And I think with someone like Driscoll, you, you have the runway to develop them over the course of 2020 and then figure out where they where he fits best. So if he's someone who they think can handle it, at right tackle, then great. That Then you just put him in for Rick Wagner. Wagner's deal is essentially a one-year deal with a team option. That could work out very well. Or if Billy Turner doesn't improve over what was not a terrible, but was certainly an up and down first year in Green Bay, that's someone who might be able to slide in there too because he has good size, good movement skills, and, and he definitely has the tenacity to be an interior offensive lineman. At least I've seen that when I've watched him. So I think that's someone who, again, is not going to pay immediate dividends, but someone who could be a starter in the future. And he, he checks all the athletic boxes that the Packers tend to like from offensive linemen, played in a major conference. Jack Driscoll is, is to my eyes, one of the most underrated players in this draft. I, I love that you brought him up. I 30 is too high, but honestly, if they traded into the, the high 30s, low 40s and took Jack Driscoll, I'd be fine with it. That's how much I think of him as a prospect. I think he can be their right tackle of the future, to your point. And with Brian Goodkins in particular, we know that if he has an eye on any one conference more than the others, it's the SEC. I mean, that, that's where they pulled Elton Jenkins from. That's where they pulled a number of players thus far under his or during his tenure as general manager. It wouldn't be surprised to see them spend another premium pick on an offensive lineman from that conference. So I have the other offensive lineman that I, I think is the obvious choice here. He's actually the player who created this idea, the reason that we decided to have this show, and that's Ezra Cleveland. Yep, on my list from as Bo- well. From Boise State. He is um, a, a really good athlete, and not just one of those good athletes who tests well, but it's like, oh, he's this ultra-raw prospect with great athleticism, and he can become a thing. No, last year and the year before at Boise State, he was one of the best pass blockers in the country. If you want to use pro football focus numbers, you want to use sports info solutions numbers, he has some of the best pass protection numbers in the country, even in big-time spots against Florida State. So when you look at the the ability, the athletic tools, it's there. Plus, he is, I think, a more refined, more polished player than he gets credit for. And the one place where he struggles, which is anchor against bull rush especially, those kinds of things are fixable because he can get stronger. He's got the length to keep those guys off him. If he can refine his technique, I think he can be a really good player. And he's he's finally getting first-round buzz. I think at 30, it's a name that we have to keep an eye on. Yeah, I agree with absolutely everything you said. And a lot of people assume that he is a raw prospect than he is because he played at Boise State. But let's right. keep in mind, he has 40 starts, not 40 games, 40 starts under yeah. his belt. And uh, for your listeners who may be familiar with Josh Norris, one of the the uh, the workout test scores that correlates really well with offensive line success mm-hmm. is the shuttle. And if, if that player is under 4.47, they have a very, very high chance of being a long-term starter. And Ezra Cleveland, to that point, 4.46. So it, it's not just that he looks good on tape and looks like he has a lot going for him now and room to improve in the future, but even these, these other more ancillary ways of looking at the position bode really well for his potential. If, if there were a, an ideal draft scenario, one of them would be Cleveland at 30 and Michael Pittman Jr. at 62 for the Packers, and it's two players that, that we've discussed. Yeah, and in both cases, they don't just fill short- and long-term needs, but, but those are guys who 
are already contribute right now. Like Ezra Cleveland does not have to start for the Packers if they were to draft him, but he certainly could. You, you could slot him in at right tackle and expect him to do at, at least a decent job in the same way that David Bakhtiari, while nowhere close to his all-pro form as a rookie, was able to hold down that position. That's really what you're asking for when you have a rookie offensive lineman. You know, sometimes you have exceptions like Elton Jenkins this past year, who is playing at a well above average level yeah. despite being a rookie. That's not really something you can expect even from an early first round pick. But I think Ezra Cleveland is the kind of player who could be a starter from day one if necessary. And the same with Michael Pittman. And if you needed him, I mean, Rick Wagner, the last few years, really his whole career, He's going to miss one, two, three, four games. Same with, with Brian Bulaga. So if you draft him and he needs to play a couple games, he he seems to have the ability to be able to come in, even if it's not until week eight, week nine. It could also be a situation where he gets lane tailored. And by week eight, week nine, he's just the starter. I mean, I don't think that's out of the question either. That's how good I think he is. Yeah, and if you think back to when the Packers first acquired Brian Balaga, he was somebody they did not anticipate starting right away either. He, he certainly right. could have. They gave him a shot. I think it was left guard initially, and then they moved him to to right ta- or to the tackle position. He was kind of their swing tackle. And then Mark Tauscher went down with an injury, and Balaga just held the fort for the rest of the season. So it, it's not that anyone should believe right now that Wick, Rick Wagner is going to just have a season in the injury at some point. It's certainly nobody hopes for that. But right. if he became, if he went down or was for whatever reason not playing up to snuff, someone like Cleveland could come in and probably handle the position as a rookie. All right, another name on your list. I know we just took one off, so this is we're we're getting through this faster than I thought we would. Well, this is someone who I imagine that you have watched a fair amount of, given your college allegiances. But Zach, mm. Zach Bond. So he's actually not. He's on my list too. He's actually not a superb athlete. He he came in at a little over fifty percent in terms of edge rushers, and also a little over fifty percent in terms of off-ball linebackers. So that's usually not the kind of person that you'd expect the Packers to target early. And I think a team who wants him probably has to use somewhere around a top fifty pick to get him. But he does play extremely well in terms of, in terms of play speed. And he's position versatile, which I think that's the part that would appeal to the Packers. In yep. in Mike Pettin's scheme, having a lot of pieces that can move around both playing on and off the ball is going to have value. That's something that he can do. If they decide that he, they wanted him as one of their essentially starting inside linebackers, I think that that would be fine, if not initially at some point during his rookie season. And if he's someone they wanted to play in that role and maybe on the fly shift to the edge when they move Zaria Smith from the edge inside, I think it's definitely something that he could do as well. And then you look at all the pieces that the Packers have in that front seven that can move around, you know, both of the Smiths, Rashawn Gary, and then Zach Bond. I think when you have that many moving parts, you can really adjust to what an offense is doing, even if they're going up tempo, no huddle, because a lot of times that's how offenses get defenses in disadvantageous positions where they can't sub, or at least not, at least they can't do so without taking a timeout. Bond helps you avoid that situation and might just be a really good player in his own right. Yeah, when you look at what Mike Pettin's defense prizes above all else, versatility is the thing. And the ability for Zadarius Smith to play inside and outside was a big reason why they loved him in free agency. Preston Smith's underrated ability to play in coverage. So if you get Zach Bond and you say, okay, he's going to reprise the Clay Matthews 2015 role where he's going to play some inside linebacker, you're still going to blitz him, you're still going to let him play on the edge a little bit. And Mike Patton only wants to play two true inside linebackers 25, 30% of the time anyway. 
it's kind of the perfect way to transition someone like Bond, who's playing a new position in that way, and then still let him in sub-package formations. I mean, Mike Pettin's favorite formation last year was a 1-4-6 with three outside linebackers. And it was Kyler Fackrell a lot last year, but it's going to be a lot of Rashawn Gary. It could be a lot of Zach Bond. And then to your point about flexibility, you never know who's dropping and who's coming because Preston Smith can drop. Zach Bond can drop. Even in in some spots, maybe Rashawn, he had Kenny Clark zone drop a couple times last year in some intricate blitzes that he put together. I, I think the signing of Christian Kirksey, while it doesn't give them a long-term inside linebacker solution, it makes it easier to take someone like Zach Bond and say, we don't need you to play outside right away, or inside right away. You can play some outside too. Yeah, again, because of the way that Mike Patton ideally wants to run his defense, it's going to involve more blitzing than, frankly, I think we saw last season. But it's going to involve those yep. blitzes coming from different places on different downs, but oftentimes with the same overall personnel. And the only way you can do that effectively is to have position-versatile players. You know, This isn't the NBA where all those guys are really positionless and they're just moving around, but several of those guys can play more than one spot. And if you're able to do that on the fly, which is the players moving around on the field without having to come off, that definitely helps a defensive coordinator like Patton. So I have, because we of the overlap, I have one more player on my list. I would be shocked if this player was also on your list, but it's someone that I've talked to our friend Tex Western about. A day three running back who hits all of the, the athletic markers that we think Green Bay likes when it comes to running backs played in a scheme that I think is close enough in terms of the the zone running schemes that there can be some some translatable features right away and that is UCLA running back Josh Kelly. I think that his he has home run hitting ability but is also coming off two straight 1000-yard years in UCLA playing for Chip Kelly. The team was really bad. He was the best part of the team. And for a Packers organization that has some decisions to make about Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams moving forward, getting a third running back you feel more comfortable with than Dexter Williams, because they're clearly not comfortable with Dexter Williams, I think he, he provides the kind of experience in the scheme that they like, plus the athletic markers, that he could be an interesting guy in, let's say, round five. I, I think when we're talking about Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur, we can expect that most years they are going to spend a late round pick at least on the running back position. And that's just yeah. because these guys are, are so valuable in the scheme in terms of, you know, if one goes down, you want someone who has similar traits. So you don't have to really you know pull back on the outside zone, play action off of it that they did have to do at times last year because of the way the offensive line was playing. And, and you're right. Dexter Williams, someone who on paper should fit that scheme, just, just didn't seem to figure it out last year. And maybe he does in 2020. But you want to keep bringing bodies in to figure out who is going to be a long term fit in that scheme. And, you know, if you spend a fifth round, sixth round pick on a running back and it doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world. But sometimes that player turns out to be a high quality player or even a star player like like Aaron Jones in 2017. Yep. So taking more and more shots in those guys late both helps you keep that scheme operational and potentially helps the team avoid some of the mistakes with veteran running back contracts that we've seen other teams make. You know, Aaron Jones might be perfectly fine on a veteran contract. And we know that the Packers have at least discussed that possibility with his agent already. But they decide that Jones' asking price is too high. They can find some other players behind him who can move into that role in the future. 
that really puts them in an advantageous position. And someone like Joshua Kelly could be that player. There's certainly other running backs that they'll look at both in and outside of the draft. So I just think that's a, a smart strategy for this team, given what they are trying to do. Do you have another name on your list? Uh, I have a few more. Uh, let's, let's just go with, with one last one. So, and it's another player who I, again, expected you to bring up, or at least to have on your list, and, and that's Patrick Queen, the linebacker out mm. of LSU. So, I, I am of the belief that he will probably not be there at 30, but at the same time, there were a lot of players that ended up landing in Green Bay that I also didn't think were going to be at the end of the first round. So, it's not, ent- it's not entirely impossible, especially with this weird draft cycle where teams have not really had the normal opportunity to meet with these players, to, like, to test these players medically which is very important. So so Patrick Queen is a very interesting prospect. I think everybody knows what he looked like at the end of last season, which was a hyper-athletic, off-ball linebacker, really, really good in coverage, and really, really smart. And that's why I think a lot of people expect him to go well before the Packers pick. At the same time, he doesn't really have a long track record as a starter. He did play the two seasons prior, but only in sort of like a rotational backup role. And he wasn't even the starter to start 2019. He had to earn that role no. early, granted, early in the season, but still during the season. And he's one of these linebackers, and we've seen this with other players in the past, who was a high school running back, switched positions in college. And sometimes that takes a lot of time to adjust. And that was the case with Queen. But his athleticism is so high. And his skill set already is so impressive that I I think he's someone who could resolve a lot of short and long-term issues in that Packers offense. Now, I don't think you're going to see him rush off the edge a lot, but I do think he's going to be able to do some of those A-gap blitzes. We we know we've seen Patton do sort of, you know, double A-gap mug looks. That's something that I think uh, Queen could do. Maybe not as well as some other first-round linebackers like like Kenneth Murray, but I think it's something that he would be able to do at least in some capacity. And he's going to be there on the field to essentially be that like extra safety coverage player that can just take away tight ends or slot receivers or at least slow those guys down. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not as high on Patrick Queen as, as some people are. Um, I think he and Kenneth Murray are actually a little bit overrated, even though I like them both in a vacuum. So uh, we'll see how this this lack of pro days affects some of this stuff because these guys don't have full testing profiles. So the Packers are, are probably going to have to make some adjustments on the fly here. Jason, why don't you let my listeners know where they can find more of your work? Well, you can find me on Twitter at by underscore JBH. You can find my work at SI.com, at NFL.com. Uh, I, I still write for SB Nation and Acme Packing Company. So look for my work in those places. All right. And and please do that. Thanks, Jason. Of course, Peter. Hey, listen up, FanDuel Fantasy players. Your day is about to get 20% better. This is Vinny Iyer, host of Lockdown Fantasy Football here on the Lockdown Network. And I have an offer for you. Start playing fantasy this football season and FanDuel will give you a 20% bonus on your first deposit. That's up to $500. That's a big time bonus. And all you need to do to claim it is to make your first deposit on FanDuel. I love the fantasy contests they have on FanDuel. So many different ways to play, cash games, tournaments. I like to challenge myself there. Take my fantasy football knowledge to the next level. Many different types of game formats you can pick from. Main slate, single game, best ball, snake draft. And you can even play private contests with your friends. There's an awesome slate of games on hand every single week. You can get the players that you don't have in your redraft leagues into your lineup. Try to get that big time return on investment. Every week is a new chance for you to win big at FanDuel. That's what I love about it. Experience season-long wins without the season-long waits. Sign up today at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to claim your bonus and start playing today. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. 
Age and location restrictions apply. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires after 30 days. This episode is brought to you by Wise. Progress is great, isn't it? People listen to music on record players, then tapes and CDs. And now you can stream music and podcasts. When technology moves forward, you move with it. Like with Wise, the modern way to move money internationally. It's smarter and simpler. They use new technologies. So when you send, spend, or convert money with Wise, you get a better exchange rate with lower fees. And over 30% of transfers arrive in less time than it takes to listen to this right now. Join over 10 million people and businesses and try Wise for free at wise.com slash podcast. All right, I want to thank Jason again for joining the show. Always great to have Jason on. And we're going to get more next week. The NFL announced that the NFL draft is moving forward as planned, April 23rd through the 25th. So that means a, a month from now, it'll, ha- it'll be over. And we'll have draft picks to talk about. If you are new to the show, we have what's called an, uh, a rookie orientation, where we have someone who covered the, the player, someone who coached the player. Last year, we had D- Rashawn Gary's defensive coordinator on the show to talk about the kind of player Rashawn Gary was. We had Joe Thomas on last week, a teammate of Christian Kirksey. Whenever possible, we will try and add some context to these players. So those are shows coming up. And we're still going to be doing these off-season report card series, focusing more on the draft part. So I'm, I'm watching the safeties now. I want to talk about them. I'm going to watch the running backs. I want to talk about them because you guys want to talk about them. So we'll have a lot more to get to on the draft and if there's you know more free agent signings, all those kinds of things, we can get to them in the coming days and weeks. A reminder, stay strong, stay solid, support the people in your life. This is a tough time and we can all get through it together. I like to end these shows with a message of encouragement and of hope because we all need it right now. I know I need it. And I'm, I am luckily home with my wife every day and and I love her and I love getting to spend more time with her but even just the two of us it can feel isolating cut off from your friends your family and not knowing when you're getting to see them again so we get to be here together as a community for a short period of time every day you may not be listening at the same time as everyone else and you may not be downloading the podcast the same day as everyone else but there are thousands of people just like you who are listening to Locked On Packers and trying to find a little bit of shelter from the proverbial storm. We are doing this together. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. You can like us on Facebook, subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do so, 920-341-341. 3775 to stay locked on Packers.